Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. It's Friday the 13th of September coming up. Calls for tougher rules on restaurant labelling after teenagers' death. It is simply not good enough to have a policy which relies on verbal communication between the customer and their server, which often takes place in a busy, noisy restaurant where the turnover of staff is high and many of their customers are very young. Experts meet to try and tackle knife crime. I think we're at a fascinating point in time where actually if we act now as a community, we can actually prevent it getting any worse. And taxi drivers take sick children to Disneyland. These children who have been under cancer treatment all year and we want to put a smile back on their faces and some of these children have never been on, in a taxi or have actually been across the English Channel. Kent Online News. First today, the family of a teenager who died after eating a birthday meal at Byron Burger want changes in the law on labelling in restaurants. Owen Carey, who went to school in Tunbridge Wells, suffered a fatal reaction after eating grilled chicken coated in buttermilk in 2017. A coroner's ruled he was misled into thinking it was safe for him to eat. His sister Emma says there are lessons for the food industry. Owen was the shining light in our family and his death should not have happened. We hope now that something good can come out of it and we are calling on the government to change the law on allergen labelling in restaurants. We want restaurants to have to display clear allergen information on each individual dish on their menus. The food industry should put the safety of their customers first and be proactive in protecting those with allergies. It is simply not good enough to have a policy which relies on verbal communication between the customer and their server, which often takes place in a busy, noisy restaurant where the turnover of staff is high and many of their customers are very young. This leaves far too much room for error on an issue we know all too well can cost lives. We hope that we can bring about change with Owen's Law for better allergen labelling in restaurants. Kent Online reports. Hundreds of people have gathered in Deal for the funeral of Lucas Dobson, who died after falling into the River Stour. He was on a family fishing trip in Sandwich last month when he was swept away while trying to step from the jetty onto a boat. Emergency crews, search and rescue teams and dozens of volunteers spent the next five days looking for him before his body was found. Now a special service has been held at St George's Church on what would have been his seventh birthday. Reverend Peter Old led the service and spoke to us afterwards. Oh, I think it went as any funeral for a child can be expected to go. It was a mixture of tears and laughter. Uh, Tears, because obviously this is a moment of great grief of letting go of, of the final goodbye, but also laughter and being able to share some amazing memories of what an incredibly special child Lucas was. One you know, really standout moment was obviously when the emergency services were thanked. Why do you think it was so important that they were, they were here and recognised? I think the people of East Kent are completely uh, overwhelmed by the way that the emergency services here went above and beyond in the hunt for Lucas. There there were not just people doing their nine to five jobs, there were people doing way overtime, voluntary work, divers, uh, even even people like just the special constables who gave up their nights to do for traffic. Um, it, it, was, it was a real commitment from the people looking for Lucas to find him and bring him back to his parents. And 
And obviously you were involved in the search at the time. You know, obviously it's a really tragic event, um, but how did the community come together during that time? I've been bowled over by how the people of East Kent have shown their love and their community spirit in those, you know, those dark five, six days at the back end of August. Uh, even today, you can, just, you can just sense in the church today that that, that that love and that care carries on and it's been transformed into new things uh, every day. So obviously the church was really full today. Do you know, do you, do you think that it was a real importance for the community to be here as well as the family? It was really important for everyone to be here who was part of, of, of Lucas's family, of the search for him, uh, of the emergency services who were looking for him. It was an incredible tribute to Lucas and to the whole community here in East Kent. We were here together for each other to say goodbye to a very special boy who in tragic circumstances did something amazing in this community. So you tailored um, your speech quite um, to the so-so crew, so why was that? Oh, I, uh, the, the moment that I learned that uh, 21 Seconds was Lucas's favourite song, that the, the idea of that we're all giving our 21 seconds, our five days, our six years into the community, it, it just came to me, uh, almost uh, one would dare to say from God. And it was very clear, you know, to, to, to find something that we can all share and we can all understand that we all in our different ways play a little but important part in God's amazing plan for his creation. Kent Online News. Elsewhere today, questions are being raised about the care of a mum of two who died five days after having a routine operation at a Kent hospital. Tina Stone from Sittingbourne became unwell after having her gallbladder removed at Medway Maritime in Gillingham. Despite having another op, she died from multiple organ failure. A serious case investigation has been hearing evidence from doctors. Hundreds of thousands of tumble dryers which could catch fire are still in people's homes. Whirlpool issued an urgent appeal for owners of half a million potentially faulty machines to come forward in the summer, but only 65,000 have done so. Now, some of the UK's leading experts on knife crime have been holding a conference in Kent today. They met at the historic dockyard in Chatham to discuss ways to tackle the issue and talked about young victims and county lines gangs. Reverend Nathan Ward helped organise it. So we've got some of the leading experts in the UK coming to Medway to talk us through the different issues. We've got Professor John Pitts coming to talk about gangs. He's uh, one of the lead experts in the world on the subject and has advised the government on it. We've got the director of the Serious Violence Unit in Scotland coming to talk about the Scottish model and what's worked there, as well as local experts from the University of Kent uh, talking about how young people can get groomed into joining gangs and carrying knives. One of the exciting things is we've got Professor Sarah Hainsworth coming who is the lead forensic expert on the pointedness of knife and she's going to be actually demonstrating live at the conference um, how safer designed knives can be for kitchens um, and how maybe we could roll that out in the UK. And what do you make of the current knife crime issue in Medway in particular currently? So at the moment we've got a developing situation within the Kent and 
in Medway. And I think we're at a fascinating point in time where actually if we act now as a community, we can actually prevent it getting any worse. And that's the reason why I've organised in relationship with the University of Kent, the Point Conference. In the evening, we've also opening up a free session for teachers between four and six o'clock and then for parents to come along um, in the evening between seven and eight thirty. And in those sessions, Kent Police are actually going to be there and giving teachers and parents the up to date information of what is actually happening in Medway at the moment. You mentioned both teachers and parents there. How much of a solution is it going to be down to both education and parents helping these uh, youngsters? So it's not going to be a single bullet that solves knife crime. It's about us working together with statutory agencies and also equipping parents with facts, but also some skills on how they can work with their own young people to prevent them carrying knives. And we spoke to you a little bit last week about the knife angel, which has yeah. gone up here in Rochester. Does that really highlight how much of a problem it is at the moment? I think what it highlights is that the community want to deal with the problem. So, so far last week, we've had over 7,000 visitors come and see the Knife Angel and over 2,000 people have signed a pledge not to carry knives. So I think Medway is in the great place where the community is coming together around this issue. Well, one of the experts Reverend Ward mentioned there was Niven Rennie, who's director of the Scottish Violence Reduction Unit. He's been telling us more about what they do. Way back 2005, uh, we formed a violence reduction unit uh, and we decided to try and change the attitude in Scotland. To say violence is not uh, inevitable, you can prevent it. And uh, we adopted a public health model, uh, which a lot of people talk about, but a lot of people don't understand, which really means that violence is a disease. And if left untreated, it will spread from person to person, community to community, but like any disease, it has symptoms. And, uh, if you identify the symptoms, you can treat them, and that's what we've applied in Scotland. And has that has it improved? Yeah, well, in 2005, we had 137 homicides in Scotland, which is not huge by global terms, but with a population of 5 million, it is pretty significant. And last year, we had 59. So, so we're going in the right direction. 59 homicides are still 59 too many. And we've also got uh, reductions in all the other uh, measures of, of violence in Scotland as well, particularly hospital admissions, which are down by about 50%. So, so we have seen progress over that uh, 14, 15 year period, but there's still much more work to be done. The, the model we've adopted can be adopted anywhere. It doesn't matter where you are. Um, you, you, you can have in Boston, in New York, in London, in Paris, in Glasgow, and in Kent. It, it, just the symptoms, the, the way violence presents itself might be slightly different. Uh, and therefore your, your treatments that you use to bring violence down might be different in your community. Important thing is to say that this is not a policing matter. Uh, police have a role to play, but if you're really going to do something about violence, then, then all public services, all of us, have to be uh, aiming to do something and, and to be, contribute towards a reduction. I think it's uh, also important to say that no matter where you are, if you look at violence on the whole, you'll find that the map of violence also equates to the low, low life expectancy, poor attainment, uh, health problems, and largely that's because violence tends to occur in our poorer areas. So one of the ways of, a, of driving violence down is to invest in living in living standards of people who are living in their poorest communities. Today's conference comes as the County Council's plans to tackle knife crime have been described as nonsense. A report outlining their policy has been criticised by councillors for avoiding the issue of gang-related crimes and focusing instead on the sale of knives. Bosses are still planning to officially approve the scheme next month. Kent Online reports.
A teenage referee is said to have been punched in the face by a man following a football match in Ashford. The 16-year-old boy was reportedly injured at the Great Chart playing field last Saturday. Police are investigating, but so far no one's been arrested. Cutting-edge technology is being used to monitor people with suspected heart conditions in Medway, and it could save lives. The nurse-led arrhythmia team at Medway Maritime Hospital in Gillingham are able to implant a small device under the skin of patients which monitors their heartbeat 24-7. Data is then sent back to the medics, even if the patient is abroad. Sandeep Gandhi is a consultant cardiologist there. I think um, we've had you know, two main problems. There's a condition called atrial fibrillation which is very important because it can cause strokes and it was previously uh, there was late diagnoses they weren't managed as a cohort and now with their nurses they've got an atrial fibrillation clinic where they can see these patients get them to the right pathway quickly and the other problem from my point of view is probably more important is patients who black out who have unexplained blackouts that's a huge problem these patients present again and again broken broken uh, hips bleeding to the brain and they're misdiagnosed because we don't capture the ECG at the time of the collapse. And that's really critical. And for me, this has been the key thing, having two things. One is the specialist nurses who are fantastic, and then having the kit, the implantable uh, loop recorder. So that together, and I think it has to expand beyond, we still need to go out to the bigger kind of acute population who are coming in with blackouts. It's, it's going to be a game changer, I think. It's, for me, it's probably one of the biggest things in cardiology in the last 20 years is the implantable loop recorder because um, these patients with blackouts were having a really rough time. They're older, they're frail, and often it's misdiagnosed because they just thought to be old and they fall and they collapse. But actually there's a heart rhythm problem. And this device, I'm really hoping, well it is already showing that we can shorten the time, prevent readmissions, prevent bad things happening like, you know, broken hips. So it's all very exciting. And is it common to have uh, nurses in charge of this in Kent? Unique? No, I think, I think we're the only ones in Kent, so we're, we're very fortunate uh, to have that service. It's a brilliant service. Um, it cuts down you know, the waiting time of the patients, then it allows us to do other procedures. So it's, it's, we're very, very lucky to have uh, specialist nurses in arrhythmias. A man who left his bike, shoes and phone at the scene of a burglary in Tunbridge Wells has been jailed for 15 months. The 44-year-old broke into a property on Hungershall Park in July and stole thousands of pounds worth of designer handbags, toiletries and even a pair of pyjama bottoms. Four million pounds could be invested in a museum in Kent in a bid to try and attract more tourists. Councillors in Maidstone are looking at getting national lottery funding and using council cash and fundraising to do up the museum. It's hoped regenerating the attraction could benefit the whole town's economy. Mark Baker is from the museum's foundation. If you want to move a museum like this into the 21st century, and that's what it's all about, uh, it takes a great deal of money and, and, and a great deal of forethought at the end of the day. So with the result of the committee meeting at the council last week, this is another positive move in that direction of moving the museum forward. Because the problem I suppose the museum has is that it's been here for a long, long time. And there have been extensions built here, there, wherever. And so they're all on different levels. So it's a question of actually trying to make the museum far more accessible to the public at large. And equally, you now have to make museums that much more interesting, particularly for the younger people who are into interactive things. And so there's an awful lot to be done. But this is for Maidstone the jewel in the crown, I've always said that. And everyone should be proud that we've got this museum here because in the last 
two or three years around the country, even longer, museums have been closing down, um, mainly through lack of funding from councils that support them. Here we have a council that's working with museum and very, very supportive, and the councillors are very, very supportive indeed. And as a foundation, we are here to not just publicise the museum at large, but equally here to try and raise funds for it. And this is now where we come in. And you mentioned there about the fundraising. Um, tell me a bit about that side of things. Of you know, you're going to play an important role in this. We're going to play a pretty important role in this. Obviously, we're not going to be part parting with six million, but we are here to play our part. And where that comes into into being is is we have to make contact with a lot of grant giving trusts, and they're there. They're there. The money is there, and. Grant-giving trusts won't necessarily give to a borough council, but they will make donations towards a charity that supports it. So we are, to a degree, to a degree, a conduit for funds. That's what we have been in the past. We, we were a conduit for funds for the East Wing out here. We were a conduit for the Ancient Lives Gallery. We, we funded, helped to fund that. So this is where we come into it. We, we will play our full, full part, but it takes a dedicated team to achieve that at the end of the day. But we are dedicated, so I'm sure we can do it. And just finally, if that does, this goes, does go ahead as, as hoped, what will it mean, not just for the museum, but also how will it you know, benefit the wider, not just Maidstone, I suppose, but the, the wider region as well? Well, I've always had the opinion that Maidstone Museum is, is Maidstone's museum, but it really is a museum for the county. And so it's trying to attract people from outside the county and from elsewhere in the county to come and visit it because it has some wonderful exhibits. And we actually exhibit only a fraction of what we have in store here. So, so uh, let's try and attract people to come here. But this is where now this grand project comes into play. And it takes us, as I said earlier on, back into the 21st century now and what people expect to see of a museum and how they react to what is there as far as exhibits go. It's important. So we will play our role in this. That's what we're here for. The leader of Maidstone Council, Martin Cox, says the investment would bring a lot of benefits. We mean with the correct design that we'll be able to achieve a more accessible and functioning uh, museum, bringing uh, two new uh, exhibition areas where they're quite mixed and uh, also we have a cafe in there at the moment and we think that space should uh, be more for exhibitions that could come to Maidstone and therefore people wouldn't perhaps view the Maid uh, Maidstone Museum as a one-off visit. I, I think a lot of local people uh, look and say, yes I've been to the museum don't need to go again and, and I think that's that's a shame because we have I believe only eight percent of what we have uh, with all the collections out on show so if you haven't been to the museum come down before we hopefully start to change it and just tell me about you know this is if successful is quite a significant investment for the museum tell me what benefit that will bring to the wider area in the town um, I think any time you, you bring an attraction or you uh, reinvigorate an attraction, uh, people 
have it on their radar. They, they come into Maidstone not necessarily just from the borough, but from Medway towns. As people pass through, perhaps on, on their way on holiday, they might take a break off the motorway, come into Maidstone, and it should be an ideal uh, opportunity to stop, come to a slower, quieter environment, uh, and look around what Maidstone's history has to offer. And on the bid itself, obviously, as you say, it's going through the national lottery stage and you have to provide um, some money, as you say, from both the council and from the fundraising too. Um, I'm sure you anticipate being able to get that money together to almost work as sort of a, as you say, sort of a primer in a way. Um, what are kind of the options if, say, the fundraising, for instance, isn't as successful? Will it just essentially be a lower amount that you go Yes, we were shown uh, a small bid um, where we would just use the initial £350,000 that we have in our capital programme um, and that would really have enabled us to reshape perhaps the, the shop, um, the experience as you enter the museum. But the problem we face at the moment is there are about 14 different levels as you go round the museum itself. There are spiral staircases, there are two lifts, um, but it's gaining accessibility for everybody to be able to move around it, all members of the public or visitors or existing residents. And it all kind of, I suppose, ties in nicely with what's been going on in Maidstone on a wider scale. You said, you know, just have to look on Wheat Street there and on the High Street and all the developments there. Um, is the idea to you know get this going and have that finished up and get some other projects going to reinvigorate the town as a whole? I think uh, Maidstone uh, is always uh, open for business. We are looking at the uh, regeneration, I suppose, but I think any town is always looking at how it can improve. Uh, yes, with the Maidstone East project and down through the High Street with the uh, the new uh, the new environment that we're giving it with the the, the, the street and the pavements uh, and the the timeline that goes down through the middle of Maidstone um, so that shoppers can be involved more as they move around Maidstone uh, but I think wherever you improve somewhere you'll hopefully instill even more pride for the people of Maidstone and its visitors to treat it with the respect that it should and to enjoy the town and to be proud of it. Parents say their children are being left stranded because buses leaving schools in Canterbury are too crowded. Dozens of youngsters from Aylsham and Addisham have been forced to wait more than half an hour for another service from St Anselm's in the city. There are calls for Stagecoach to lay on an extra bus. The company say they've sent out a team to monitor the situation. And dozens of children with life-threatening illnesses have got the ferry from Dover to France today as part of a free trip to Disneyland Paris. You might have seen them travelling through Kent in a huge convoy Convoy of London Taxis this morning for the annual charity event. Alan Rowan is chairman of the Magical Taxi Tour. These children who have been under cancer treatment all year and we want to put a smile back on their faces and some of these children have never been on in a taxi or have actually been across the English Channel and we came up with the idea in 1994 and it's been going ever since so this year is our 26th year. Uh, we've got about 95 vehicles, we've got four just this year we've got 40 electric and the rest are the diesel vehicles. And uh, we have um, City of London police on their solo bikes escorting us there. We have the Yondon National from Calais. They come over from Calais to Canary Wharf and they go back with us. 
we have um, AA trucks with us and a flat loader in case anything happens to any of the cabs we can speedily pick them up and get them off the road and then repair them en route. Uh, we have uh, escort vehicles which, which I'll be in one of them tomorrow and we're basically uh, spread out in between the convoy where the ambulances and the medics are and uh, with their case anything goes happens we can deal with it by phone to the back of the vehicles right to the front and um, we have a, a chuck wagon as well which is full of food and drink because when we stop in uh, for refueling uh, all the children can have something to eat as well so they've always got food on on route and we do have um, a van full of spares in case there's a puncher for any of the drivers or the solo cyclists might get punched we've got spare wheels as well uh, there will be people on route on the bridges waving to us like they normally do and cheering us but yes we have a convoy which stretches about could be two to two and a half miles long all the way down and the police and their bikes will be ahead of us and stopping any of the vehicles coming on from the slip road uh, dis disturbing the convoy on the way down to Dover. When we arrive um, the Disney characters are outside waving us in you can see the children's eyes light up and uh, when we get there, because uh, the committee ladies have already gone ahead of us, they'll have all the tickets ready for the rooms and for entrance to the parks. So there'll be no queuing up in reception trying to get your ticket and your key. They'll get their envelopes straight away and the driver will take them to the room, drop their bags off, go back and put his bags away and meet them for dinner in the hotel. In the evening, uh, we have a gala dinner where all the taxi drivers all dress up in their best refinery, their suits and ties, and the families come in, and the room is decorated very smartly with balloons. Uh, there's, it's just amazing when you go inside and see this, and all the waiters line up, and we put, uh, put them onto their tables, and uh, we, have a, we have a lovely dinner, and then we have a disco, and uh, during the evening, all the Disney characters will come in where the children can... Uh, get up there, get their photographs with them, autographs, and they're normally only supposed to stay for 15 minutes, but they never leave because they have such a good time with all the kids. It's relief, basically, from their being in hospital. Uh, you see the smiles on their faces, and it's just amazing. And also their parents, because the, the, you must think well, what they go through when they see their children in hospital must be awful. And to see their children with big smiles on their faces makes such a big difference. And uh, yeah, the drivers have a really good time. We have a really good uh, family spirit amongst all the members who go on this trip. It's really good. Kent Online Sport. Football and Gillingham will be hoping for their second home win in a row when they welcome League One leaders Wickham Wanderers to Priestfield this weekend. The Jules have only won one match so far this season and drew their last game away to Tranmere Rovers despite taking a two-goal lead. Manager Steve Evans has been looking ahead to tomorrow's game. Well, I think in the main the fans have seen good performances. I think we've said it's, it's not been over 90 in any of the games really that we've played. Last week for 45, 50 minutes at Tramway, we were very, very good as best we've played in the third time here. And uh, in such a commanding position, should have the game put to bed. Um, I think at Priestfield, it, it brings that added pressure to, to win games because it's your home games. But we get wonderful support from not just the Rainer men, but from all sides of the ground. They know the team's in a little bit of a transitional period. I think there's no doubt they can see the quality of player we've got in. And they sometimes push, probably go out and shake their head at the inconsistencies. But I forewarned them in July it would be like this. Um, but we, it would be a good benchmark tomorrow. You don't get any if you don't if you're not the league leaders. 
the only thing you can get the opportunity to do is beat the league leaders and have a benchmark of the league leaders. So we're just, and they're deservedly top of the league, Wickham, on their results and their performances. So we'll be able to know at five o'clock tomorrow just how far away we are from that. You just touched on it there, you talk about those inconsistencies you know, from winning positions, dropping points, and you said fans obviously be naturally frustrated. You've also said it's early, obviously it's early in the season and you're a work in progress. You've also said you've seen it more than enough quality to suggest you're heading in the right direction. Are you calling on fans to be patient in that case? Is it patient? I think they've seen some good performance. I think the supporters can count, same as I can count, they're probably more qualified to count than me. But we're 2-0 up against Blackpool, shouldn't should Gary... Uh, Gary, uh, not Gary, Simon Grayson's words, that it should be four or five, um, and it's not, it finishes 2-2. Two two. And I read uh, Mickey Mellon up at Tranmere, he said the game should have been dead at half-time and they got a brilliant reaction second half. You just add the four points that we've left behind in two games we've led 2-0, we'd be sitting in the top six. So there is no, there's no big concerns inside, it's a, it's a case of we need more consistency and when we get the opportunity to put games to bed, a la like Bolton, we put them to bed very early in the second half. You'll know of course the Jewels have picked up some big wins in the recent seasons against sides that are you know, up there in the table. You look at Portsmouth last season, did the double over Portsmouth. What's it going to take to get another big win against one of the top sides? Well, I think we're, I think we're as good as anyone in the league on a, when we play properly and when we're at it. I think the boys have demonstrated that Blackpool's up there, aren't they? They're challenging for that top three spot in the top three. And you look at what we can achieve by playing them. You know, we play them for, for 95 minutes. But we just need to defend a little bit better, a little bit sharper. And, um, and just get a bit, little bit more consistency and, as I said, put teams to bed when we're on top. And finally today, Banksy has broken his silence about that missing Brexit mural in Dover. The iconic image of the EU flag with one of the stars being chiselled away seemed to disappear from the side of a building last month. The anonymous artist has revealed on Instagram how he'd planned to paint over the piece himself on the day the UK left the EU, but says he now doesn't need to bother. Well, that's it for the moment, but for more news throughout the day and overnight, you can head to kentonline.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.